1: It's in field to Mane, 25 yards out. Lovely ball for Pella.
0: Onside, 1-0! Blue foul shot! Oh my word! He ran around the bit like Bambi on ice. It was very, very embarrassing to watch. And now, your host, Matt Markstone. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast, a podcast and newsletter dedicated to the Southampton Football Club and all of the SFC fans. Available right here on SouthHandandDelivery.com. My name is Matt Markstone. I am the host of the show. And No matter where you are, no matter how you may be listening, whether this is your first time or you've been here before, thanks for making the show part of your day. Hope you enjoy it and hope that you're safe no matter where you are, whether lockdown is easing across Europe, uh, whether you are facing now a, a mandatory curfew across the United States in many places uh, because of some of the protests and some of the riots that are going on. Uh, in the name of George Floyd, and no matter how you feel about any of that, um, I hope that you are safe, and uh, I'll say that my wife and I were actually out in, in part of one of the protests on Sunday um, afternoon before things got uh, extremely heated, and this isn't a political show, but I will just say that I think everybody can agree that you're supposed to stand up for what's right, uh, so you see footballers doing that, you see posts that are doing that, but I also think that It has to go beyond that. There has to be some sort of action if you want actual change to happen. Um, This doesn't need to go away, but so often, uh, whatever it is, whether it's a flood, whether it's disease, whether it's um, some sort of natural disaster, whether it's uh, racism or oppression or whatever it is, it makes the headlines for a couple of days and then it goes away. And then we move on with our lives because it's just easier. Um, But if you really want fundamental systematic change, it's going to require. Much, much more than that, and um I've tried to avoid uh, taking any part in that on the on the podcast account, but sometimes it is it is more difficult than uh than I think, and I also think that that's maybe not um doing the right thing, but i don't I don't know so with all that, as we've said during this uh, time of coronavirus that uh, there are things that are much more important than football and and it seems almost trivial to talk about uh some of those things, but that is what the show is about, so that's what we will do. This week, I'm joined by Steve Forbes. If you are a match-going Saints fan, if you're around the Southampton area and you attend matches, you will know Steve. He's one of uh, the Match Day presenters, so he's down there oftentimes with Tom Deacon. Uh, they uh, they do the, the halftime show uh, and all of that stuff. They do the pre-match thing. Um, and so we'll walk through all of that with Steve and just get kind of his idea. We'll give him a little bit of a hard time about his interactions with some uh, particular staff members. But mostly we're going to get to know Steve Forbes a little bit. You can follow him on Twitter, Instagram and on Facebook at Forbes he Presents. Uh he's also a broadcast journalist at Global, so you may hear him on the radio. And of course, he presents Match Days uh at St Mary's. So, uh we'll talk to him uh about his career, about growing up about um you know, supporting a, a football team that is not Saints. Um and uh what it's like to go work there and uh you know, we'll we'll talk about a bunch of other stuff in between, but I uh, hope you enjoy it. I hope you're saying, "Well, um, and, you know, Project Restart is, is, is a go where we'll have football um, in, in about a half a month's time. So uh, we can all look forward to that, um, even if we can't watch it in person. But anyway, uh, let's jump into this conversation with Steve Forbes. And once again, I hope that you are safe. Hope you're well. Thank you for taking the time to, uh, to listen in. And uh, we'll talk to you on the other side. We'd like to welcome to the South Hamden Delivery Podcast, Steve Forbes. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forbesy he Presents. He's both a broadcast journalist at Global and a presenter at Saints FC. So, Steve, welcome to the show, and thanks for joining me.
1: Thank you very much, Matt. Thanks for having me on.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, been chatting for a little bit. It's uh, looks like a nice day outside still for for you. It's it's supposed to be a nice day for me. We'll we'll see how it all works out. But um, I, I mean, just how are how are things in general with lockdown and? and kind of limited uh, or no football, limited work and, and all of that stuff.
1: Yeah, like you said, it, summer is kicking in, it feels, over here. So the on the bright side is being able to have unrestricted exercise, inverted uh, commas, and being able to kind of get out and about a bit more has been nice uh, and to enjoy the weather. Lockdown is easing a bit, so more things are going to be starting to open in, in, a, in a couple of weeks, in a couple of days. So I just can't wait to be able to get a pint in a pub yeah. And have a haircut actually. Yeah. They the, they're the two things that I've I've probably missed the most from from lockdown is my hair is now stupidly long in comparison to what it was and uh I've not had a had a lovely fresh poured pint in about 10 to 12 weeks. I I don't
0: have to worry about the haircuts. Um <laughs> I, I haven't had to And for well, more than half my life now as my kids are pointing out but my son is like when can I get a haircut, you know, eighth grade graduation. Uh sorry, we already took the pictures. You got to deal with the mop. Um at least it's got a nice wave to it and that goes for for you as well um but uh <laughs> um and, and in terms of the pint like i i was able to like buy a lot of beer from my neighbor who as a thank you for something and then he went on a month of not drinking so i have a, a lot of of beer that i now need to get through quite quickly i started last week which was a bad call because i did it before i recorded the intro to the show and it was pretty pathetic so um i didn't i didn't drink it's too early in the morning to drink now but uh, anyway so yeah um so let's. I just want to like kind of talk to you about a, a couple of things. That this this week, we generally just start with like growing up. You live in, in around Southampton now, um, but did you grow up
1: in that area, or, or did you move to the area relatively re- recently? Uh, I moved to where I live at the moment in in Winchester relatively recently. But I, you, you probably can't tell from my voice, but I actually was born in in Scotland in Glasgow. So. Little bit all over the place. Um so yeah, I was born and raised in in a little place called Govan in in Glasgow. And then moved to the south coast of England with my mum and my stepdad when I was about six years old. A place called Emsworth, which is uh part so you go past Southampton, past Portsmouth, and it's towards the kind of Sussexy side of okay. of Hampshire. Um and yeah, I lived there for about twenty years, but then in that period of time, going to uni, to Bristol, to London, and then I moved to Oxford, um, and then and then to Winchester. So a little a little bit all over the place in the South.
0: Yeah, well, I would say, I wasn't going to guess it from your accent. You kind of lost it a little bit,
1: huh? Uh, very much so, yeah. I think um, at six years old, I still had obviously a very broad Glaswegian accent, but going to school at six and people are like, they've never heard this accent before in uh, in 1995 and <laughs> in, in in a little town in the south of England and so um and so yeah I think over time it just it just faded away yeah there is um you know I,
0: I I have this I just assume everybody has a similar accent if they're if they're Southampton fans you assume a lot of people are living in the area and grew up in the area so you and uh, one of the guys uh, was on the phone with him one time and it's just like he got on and I was like whoa what is that you know because
1: he was also from Scotland uh just total, totally took me by surprise but um. Yeah, for the first, uh, anyway. I'd say like 10 years of my life, I, uh, well, probably a little bit longer than that, I used to have, I used to be able to switch between. Okay. So it would kind of fade out at school and then I'd go home to my mum, uh, and she still retained her Glaswegian accent for the entirety of her life. And, um, and, and when I'd go and see family in Scotland and it would just come back and then as soon as I'd be around them, this just thick Glaswegian accent would come back. So probably until I was about 11 or 12. No, nothing. Well, I could still do it a little bit if I wanted to, like, put it on. But yeah, yeah <laughs> but, no, to, but yeah, I'd have to actually uh, do it. My my everyday speaking voice sounds like this now. <laughs> yeah, all right, all right, all right. Um, well, what about uh, growing up? What were what were sports like? Were they a, a big part of your your life growing up, and or or not really? Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose it's, it's it's a big part of most people's lives. And um, and coming from from Glasgow, that's a massive football city. I mean, you've got. The iconic old firm derby. You've got Celtic and Rangers, and um, and it it was very split in my family. There's a a big Rangers support, and then some of my family were were Celtic fans, and and but my mum, she did not want me to get involved in any of that that (laughs) rivalry because it it it's still it's still uh, like a really aggressive rivalry to this day. But back then it was it was was, and also it was kind of seventies eighties and. There was a lot of religion involved, so you also yeah. had the Protestant side was was Rangers and, and the Catholics was Celtic. And, uh, and my, my my biological father, he's a he's a Protestant and supported Rangers. My mum's a Catholic, and my mum did not want me to get involved in any of that, so she kind of banned me from supporting Rangers or Celtic. Um, as much as my my real dad wanted me to, to follow him with Rangers, I, yeah. I wasn't really allowed. Um, and so uh, I ended up growing up. I grew up supporting Man United. Okay. <laughs> at, at that time in the early nineties, if you basically supported a club that wasn't your hometown, it was either Newcastle, Man United or Nottingham forest. Yeah. Um, when I went to primary school, that was about like, the team that everyone supported and it just happened to be Liverpool. And it just happened to be Man United.
0: Yeah. Well, uh, you, so you probably get along with Carl anchor then quite well. He's a Manchester United fan from London. <laughs>
1: And he's like, uh, that's what everyone says. Everyone yeah. just says all, all the United fans are from the south of England and just go and eat their prawn sandwiches in the terraces. Right. But, um, yeah, I'm not an armchair fan. I've been up to Old Trafford a few times. And it's just I am not. I wasn't one to, to switch either. I felt like I'd made that decision. I wasn't allowed to support the kind of place that I was I was born and grew up in. And, and my cousins were Manchester United fans as well. My cousin, Carrie Ann, she had a – the reason I supported them is because she had a, a Ryan Giggs shirt that she gave me when I was about four years old and and then i just love ryan Giggs and support Man united but when i moved to england as well and yeah, and a lot of my friends did as soon as and this probably isn't great for, for a southampton uh podcast but when when portsmouth got promoted to the premier league mm-hmm. i think i was in the early years of secondary school and all of my friends that i grew up with just suddenly started supporting pompey yeah and i i did not want to follow suit i was like no you turncoats you yeah. supported arsenal and newcastle and liverpool from ever since i've known you and now it's 2001 or two whenever they got promoted right. now all of a sudden you're a pompey fan so i didn't want to follow suit so i've stuck but since working for saints i definitely feel like like an adopted fan yeah like i'm an employee and uh, i wanted to do the job because it followed my kind of uh, what i wanted to do in my career but the club is it's it's definitely Suck me in to like feeling like a like a bit of a saint and and I love the people that I work with and all the people around the club that I've met And and yeah, I just feel a little bit like an adopted saint supporter now Well, I mean
0: um, having talked to Carl anchor the athletic writer for the saints in the past He he feels much the same way. He is a also a man united fan growing up and um, but he's definitely fallen in love with saints o- over the time. And, and I, as a guy from California, I've also fallen in love with a club that's, uh, I've really people are like, are you sure? Like none of your family. I was like, I got nothing. Like there's no connection
1: just has been my club now for, uh, quite, quite a while, but, um, it doesn't work the same way over there. Right. You, you tend, even with like, like NBA teams or NFL teams, you don't tend to support where you come from. Is that right? You kind of just pick a team that you like. A, a lot. Yeah, it's a lot. I, th-
0: I think for me where I live. Yes, Um, I live halfway between San Francisco and L.A. So that I don't have a hometown team. Uh, a lot of people are Dodger fans, but it, it doesn't mean that you have to be. Um, So my teams are I'm a Houston Astros fan. So, yes, I, I like cheating. Um, I, I'm a Buccaneers fan. And that was well before Tom Brady joined the team um and 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 that and then the, the Houston Rockets and and that's it and then the, I picked those teams because I fell in love with certain players on the team and uh you know uh, actually the Buccaneers my dad was a Rams fan when they moved from LA to St. Louis uh when I was a kid I watched him cry because he was being abandoned by his team um and, and the same guy that owns Arsenal owns them um and so I was like I'm never going to let that team do that to me so I picked the team on the opposite side of the country because they couldn't get any further away like that was my reasoning behind picking the Buccaneers at that point. Um, and it's
1: nice though, because I feel like there's a bit of a stigma in the UK that you, you probably don't get over there, which is you should support where you come from. Yeah. But people move, obviously you can move from one end of the country to another. And then I, I I like the fact that you can just pick a team because you like them for whatever reason. And you can support that team. You can still be a genuine fan or supporter, even if you're not from there.
0: Yeah. And the nice thing about it is like, you know, I, i even if I am a Dodger fan, like there's no chance we're going to all those. So like when the Astros come to town and they only come, you know, three times, three times a year, like I can go to all three games and then, you know, that's, I get to see my team as much, basically as much as I can. I, I like that aspect of it now that they're, they, they switch leagues. And so they're, they're out here a lot more often, but usually we go to Oakland because it's just way cheaper. You can get like tickets for $11 instead of like, you know, 45 in, in
1: LA. So Uh, That's where I went to see my first baseball game. Was the Oakland A's? Oh yeah, and yeah, hated it. Hated every minute of it. (laughs) I can't. The best part. The best part was getting the food. The food was great, and and the beer was good. But I think there was like one hit in the entire three and a half hours that I was present at that stadium. And oh, I nearly fell asleep, like on multiple occasions.
0: It's, uh, when was that? How, how long ago was
1: that? That was in the summer of uh, 2016. So okay. it was about September time, 2016, okay. that I was that I was over there. Well, hopefully the weather was nice, at least. So you can get pretty. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's better. I'm, I had a nice day out with my friends, but the actual, the yeah, actual the sporting game. element, uh, I was just not into. Well. I, I can't, I can't, I can't be mad at you. Um, I, I,
0: as a guy who grew up playing baseball, my kids don't like it. So it's, it is what it is. Um, but uh, so I'm glad we've established that you're not a Portsmouth fan. That's uh, you know, good, good. It would be tough to hide, I think uh, going, going into this, but um, I, I guess for you, I mean, did you play football growing up or was it just kind of uh, you know, watching? Yeah. And-
1: Rec- recreationally, I'd say I've, I've always, I don't think i have I'm not from an athletic family um and i was never athletic or, or uh, like athletically built in my in, as a kid um and I, I always loved football there's a little probably a period maybe between 11 and 13 where you kind of fell out of love with it and was into like skateboarding It's that kind of time when like lincoln park and then biscuit were out and i just yeah. got into like that kind of skateboarder vibe but i've always loved football but yeah growing up it was sometimes playing with the school teams but even in secondary school, it, I don't know what it's like over there. You tend to, it's probably a, athletics plays a, plays a big part. It, it was not, it wasn't so much at the school I went to in the, the captain of the football team just tended to, to pick his friends okay. to, to play. So you didn't really get picked that often. And, um, and, and so, yeah, I, I, I didn't play a huge amount other than recreationally recreationally with, with my pals growing up. Um, I always think that my, my football brain is way better than, than my body. Yep. So I can kind of see things and want to do them, but my legs and feet just can't perform those actions.
0: Yeah, I, I can relate. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> I, I get it. Um, I, I, the the second thing, I mean, obviously your job now is is journalism and, and broadcasting. And I, I guess, when did that start? Like, where, where does the interest for
1: that come from uh, for you? I think I was a little... Bit of a late bloomer uh, when it came into kind of my career choice now so I'm 30 now and I've only been doing this professionally for about three years three and a bit years so um, when I when I left college I got a job selling mobile phones and uh, my friend worked in a shop and it was good money at the time and I I did that for a few years um, and then I decided right I want to continue with my education and went to university and I went to a university in Bristol in the southwest of England, and I did English language linguistics because, funnily enough, I wanted to be a teacher, right. and um, I thought I'll get into teaching. Like that, that I, I really, enjoyed, I was always really good at English throughout throughout school and throughout my education, and I thought I'll go and study that, and I'll get a degree in English, and and I went and 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 did it in Bristol, and realised that my I was not up to the standard of degree level for for English, and I didn't. I'm very much a practical person and if I didn't see a use of something, I couldn't put my mind to it. So I did English language and linguistics and the language side was was kind of fine. But when I looked at linguistics and building up phonemes of words and stuff and trying to learn them in different languages, I thought, when am I ever going to put this into practice in my day-to-day life? I kind of just fell out of love with it. And I think it was my kind of first year being away from home and having that that freedom uh, at 19 and just going... Out all the time and not focusing on my studies and 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 yeah, I kind of flunked that entire year. So I left, I left, I left uni after one year, and I went back to work and I went back to work selling phones again because I knew people that still were in the industry and they just gave me a job back and I started doing that. And I did that for another year and then I realized, what am I doing? I'm just gonna stay in this forever. I need to do something that I'm passionate about. And so I really thought, right, I'm not, I'm not. Academically good enough to, to stick this English thing through and maybe do I want to teach and also then I thought to myself Do I want to be around children all the time? Probably not so, um, so So I just thought what do I really enjoy doing and one of the things I really enjoyed enjoyed doing was was entertaining people and and uh, I thought why don't I do something where I can I can chat and I can entertain and I can, I can have a good time I enjoy having conversations um, so there was, a, there was a, an opening still at a university in London, the University of West London that I went to. And uh, it was for TV and radio broadcasting. And I went through clearing, which in the UK basically means that you have waited too long to apply. So if there's no space, there's no, no space. You're out of luck. But if there are people, people who have dropped out or they haven't filled the course, you can then, uh, you can then join late on. So I only, I only decided to go back to uni Maybe in the kind of May, June time uh, of 2011, and and then got in probably in the August, and then started in September. So it was a really quick turnaround to go back to uni, and I just loved what I did. So a lot of people would refer to it as a Mickey Mouse course, where you, there's not really a huge amount of reading and studying and, and essays to write. It was uh, more vocational. Okay. Um, but but I really loved it. I loved getting into the studio and being on the mic and presenting a show and the kind of production element of putting it all together. Um, and yeah, so I kind of stuck at it and my mum did say to me at the time, she was like, we wasted all that money sending you to uni, to Bristol for a year (laughs) that you've just, excuse my French, peed up a wall. You've just completely just wasted 10 grand of, of going to uni. Um, you need to stick at it. If you're going to do it again this time, a you're a you're paying for it. That was that was the second one. We're not covering you this time. You're right. paying for it, um, and uh, and you've got to stick to it. So when I went, I was a little bit older. I was 22, and um, and I was like, right, I'm really going to do this. So I studied hard, and I and I paid attention to all the lessons, and, and I think because I really related to the subject and loved it, I did so well. So so when I graduated, I uh, I, I was a first I got a first class degree. Um, which I don't really know means much now in the TV and radio broadcast and probably don't even need one, but I I, I really committed myself to to getting into it. And from there on out, I was just like, this is what I'm going to do. And I I have suffered setbacks and I didn't manage to get into it straight away. But but really since that, that 2011 period onwards is is when I really wanted to push for a career in this industry.
0: Yeah. I, I, it always surprises me because in the United States, it's not that big of an industry. Like I don't, I didn't go to school with anybody who was going into studying broadcasting like that. And it was more like, you know, uh, either you were a nurse, you worked in the forest where I went or, or you were an engineer. Uh, and then like I was a history major and they were like, what are you doing here? Like you could have gone anywhere. I was like, well, they let me in. That's, that's why I'm here. Um, it, they made that mistake and uh, so I'm, I'm going to do it. Um, but so I, it always surprised me because it seems like a lot of people in the UK are into it's, maybe it's just because of, of the, how prevalent sports are. And, 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 but I don't know, because it not even what you do is, is all sports. It's, it's news and, and everything else. And I, I don't know. I, does that make any sense? Or I, I?
1: Yeah. I mean, but it wasn't, it wasn't pushed me at a young age when, when I was in school and I was deciding what I'd then kind of take at GCSE, um, in, in secondary school. And then, and then in college, it was, it was all very academical. Like I, I, I love doing drama and stuff. And, and, and we have, um, technology which is basically like cooking um, uh, in, in secondary school and I, I was really good at them and loved them but I just didn't see a future in those like why would I get a GCSE in drama Like, you don't need one if you at acting you could act no, it doesn't you're not gonna need a qualification and and so my kind of parents would always say right pick something that there's actually a future in that if you wanted to get they wouldn't have ever held me back in whatever decision I, I wanted to make with with my career choice but I think they were so worried that I would pick something that was of no value, and and I, I had something to fall back on. So when I was at GCSE, I picked history and geography and English, and obviously the maths and the science that we have to do here. Um, and in college, I did law and psychology and English, and those those I I picked really academic subjects. And looking back on it, I was I was a very average student. I think I got like one A, five Bs, and three Cs at GCSE, and I got like a a B D D BDD at college. So Really, really average. Nothing, nothing special. Um, but I think maybe if I'd if I'd gone with something at an early age that I that I really enjoyed, it, it may have been different. But then I might not have been here now. So you, you make these choices and, and you stick with them and you live with them.
0: Yeah, I think for a lot of people going in that early, like there, you have very little idea of what exactly you're 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 hoping to get. Yeah, you, you
1: don't know? know what you want to do at sixteen. Yeah, you no, what I want to do at sixteen. And then my my, I mean, when I was, I've gone through so many different career choices like when i was in school i was like right i want to be a chef so uh i will i'm really good at food tech i'm gonna be a chef and then i realized now nah, i'm 16 i'm not that good at cooking i'm not gonna be a chef and then i was like I, I was in the raf cadets as a kid as well so i was like i'm gonna go into the the air force and then i realized that i'm too short and have crap vision so i can't <laughs> be a pilot so um so all of these kind of dreams they just they, they fall by the wayside as you get older and, and like i said it was it was 22 years old 21 22 and then i decided right this is what i want to do. Yeah. And, you, and made a home, you made a home
0: for yourself doing it now. and um,
1: Exactly, so, yeah.
0: yeah. So I, I guess walk me through kind of uh, getting to Global and, and you and, and John Weeks, who also works for Saints and Global, uh, you guys know each other. John's been on the show before. Um, do you guys do the exact same job at, at,
1: at Global or very similar or, or no? We do the exact same job. We just cover different areas of the South. So John primarily takes... The heart and capital brands for, in fact, mainly heart, for the Thames Valley, which is Oxfordshire, Hampshire, Buckinghamshire, uh, Berkshire, and and, sorry, and the South Coast, which is Hampshire and Dorset and places like that, whereas I cover Sussex and Surrey and Kent. As as my main patches, that's just where we've been assigned to. We obviously we can we flutter in sometimes if covers needed, but yeah, as a job we do the exact same thing. Okay, all right, and and so that involves uh you know early mornings, late nights. Uh, what's your schedule like when you when you show up? It varies. Um, when I when I joined, so I only joined Global a year ago, just under a year ago uh, in July two thousand and nineteen, and and when I first started, I was on the late shift, so that was doing. At 2 p.m. till 7, covering the drive time show for news. And then a space opened up uh, on breakfast, and I just thought, that's where you want to be. Like UK radio, you want to be on on the breakfast slot. The, the sacrifices you have to make, I have to be in bed at 8 p.m., and then you have to be up at 4 in the morning. But A, I think it's not a big sacrifice when you finish it at 1 and you've got the rest of your day to yourself, and then you're also doing the flagship hours that the majority of your listeners are, are tuning into. Right.
0: Yeah, yeah, I I'm a big big morning person. Uh, As you can, we, we talked, we discussed that before we started. Yeah, very early. Yeah, yeah. believe it. Um, so I'm Saturday,
1: I was not be getting up at five. That's
0: that's all right. It, <laughs> you just do it. I mean, half the time the games kick off at four. Um, that's when I I hate when we play the Europa league teams. Does that mean Saturday and Sunday? I'm up that early because uh, you know they got to kick off at at twelve or two or whatever whatever time it is. Of course, Yeah. Um, anyway, um, so. Let's talk a little bit about coming to saints um, because you've been doing that job for a little longer than you've been at global. Um, But I mean, where, where did the idea to come work for a football club? How did that, how did that come to you and why, or, or what prompted you to say, like, I enjoy being behind a microphone. Now let me do it in front of, you know, thousands of people every match day.
1: Well, I, I think really when I kind of got into broadcasting and, um, and, and and in in Britain I, I feel there's there's a bit of like um, age restrictions with particular types of media you get into so if you want to go into kind of music radio and, and when I was in uni I wanted to go and be a presenter at say like radio one or at capital or something like that and but you they kind of won't really look at you if you're past a certain age because you obviously have to fit into, fit into the demographic of, of, of their audience as well so capital has a really young audience if you want to be a presenter there you tend to be quite a young person too and and, and I got knocked back so much when I left uni. So I, had, I put all my demos together and I worked at a, a community station called Westside in, in West London. And um, I did the breakfast show for them when I was at uni um, and then left after after graduating. But I had all this material and I was sending it out and sending it out and getting kind of nothing back, not really getting any jobs in the industry. Um, and I kind of thought, right, if I'm not going to get I'm not going to get on the radio as a as a as a presenter um, for for a music brand. What else do I like? And I've, like I said, I've always been into football. And thought, right, maybe I can go down the sports broadcasting route and and be able to present. And and, and at the end of the day, I want to get paid to watch football. That's great. You, you something you would do as a as a as a pastime anyway. You can do as a job. So I was like, oh, I'll I'll kind of focus focus on that as well. But as I said, I did a couple of presenting jobs here and there on on some local stations but but nothing to call a career I was still working after I graduated uni I was still working in the phone shop went back to doing that um, for a few years Um, and it was actually until that summer of 16 when I went out to America so I went out to America and I worked for a few months at a camp in America in Connecticut and I taught kids radio studies there very loose very loosely radio studies there was a back room to the hall that had a couple of computers in it and a little mini mixer and it was like, there you go, there's kids for an hour, teach them how to do radio. So right. you try and put a little program, et um, And But I, before I'd gone, I'd lined myself up uh, a job. I'd had an interview, and I was re- pretty confident I'd get this job at a, a DAB, a digital station um, in London, to be a presenter slash producer for them. And when I got back, I had my interview, and I got offered the job, and I was, I was silly because I was young, and I didn't realize the industry that when, you're re- when, you, when you start out in media, you get paid a very low salary. So coming from sales, where I earned a decent salary, I was thinking, well, I'm not going to take too much of a cut. So I kind of screwed myself out of a job by asking for too much, and I rubbed I rubbed the company up the wrong way, and so I lost what I thought was going to be my in into broadcasting. And it was it was actually funny enough going to be like a Saturday sports show that would have been what I would have been presenting for this station. So I I, I, I didn't do the right thing, and I lost that opportunity. And another few months went by. And I thought, how can I actually get through a door here? And it tends to be journalism. Journalism is the thing that will get open doors into um, into the sports industry because you can be a correspondent, a pitchside reporter, an anchor for a particular channel or, or on air. Um, and so, in that January of 2017, after after coming back from America, um, I just. Had a lump of money that I'd saved up that was going to buy a house with, and I thought I'm going to use this for my future. So I just used half of it to pay for an NCTJ NCTJ course, which is a journalism qualification at a a private school, kind of, and then the other half to kind of live off for six months because it was full time, Monday to Friday, nine to five, but you couldn't work. So I went and I went and did this course for six months and graduated. And then I had this NCTJ and then people started to take you seriously. So, um, I started getting freelance jobs at BBC in Oxford and, um, for a station which doesn't exist anymore in Brighton called Juice, um, and doing a couple of shifts here and there. But, I, funnily enough, before I got the job at Saints, I was working at a call center doing, um, over the phone surveys. So you have to like cold call is the most depressing thing in the world, man. You've got cold call people have a minute of your time and can ask you all these questions. And no one wants to talk to you. Right. So I had to do that for a little bit. But in over that summer, I know, I know how you feel. <laughs> have you done that job yourself?
0: No, no, just about the show, <laughs> doing <laughs> this show.
1: <laughs> what, cold calling? <laughs> yeah, trying to get people on? Similar, similar thing, right? Um, but these people hate your guts anyway, anyway, and especially if you have targets to hit. You've you monitored on how many calls you make a day. It's the most soul destroying thing for minimum wage. Anyway, it was it, it was either that or go the doll after I'd finished my course. So I thought that's better than nothing. So anyway, I was doing this that summer in in 2017, and then I just saw on um, a, a media jobs website that Southampton were looking for a, a stadium presenter, and I was like, I could do that. I reckon maybe. What, what have I got to lose? You know, uh, So I just applied. I just thought, I'm just going to stick my CV in and say I've done it. And I had done a little bit of live hosting. So when I was at uni, I did um, there, like this like an end of year, the media department does like an end of year show. And so I, I hosted, I co-hosted that in, in my final year and i had done a bit of um, live presenting for local festivals around the kind of West London area okay. that, I, that, that were associated with my my community station that I worked with at the time. So I had a little bit of experience, but I thought there is no way I'm even going to get an interview, but I'm just going to shove my CV in the inbox anyway and see what happens. Lo and behold, a couple of weeks later, yeah, do you want to come in for an interview? But, and this is what I think is a little bit fake, is it went to my junk and I did not see this email to invite me in for an interview till the day of the interview. Oh no. And, um, it was a pick your own time slot so the, so it the email came through and you clicked on the link and it was like you've been invited here's the time slots available pick it and it was it was too late to pick a time slot so I panicked and I was like how have I messed this up yeah it's gone to my junk inbox it looks like I don't care I've applied for this job and just not responded so I quickly went onto LinkedIn and I found who is who's my boss Tom call is the head of audio visual at Saints and I, fa- I found him on LinkedIn he was the person who sent me the email but to message him, I needed, I needed premium. So I was like, whatever, I'm paying for LinkedIn premium yeah. uh, for the month. And then just, and so I, I sent him a message and he got back to me and he was really understanding. and was like, yep, no problem. We'll schedule it for, for tomorrow, another day, whenever it was. Um, and I went and I went down to Staplewood to the training campus for my first interview. And I was so excited because um, this is like, I was just thinking, this is a Premier League club. Oh my yeah. God, I've actually got an interview uh, at a Premier League club. This is insane. So went to my went to my interview at Staplewood, and I met with J.K. Um, I don't think actually works works at the club anymore, and, and Tom as well. And had this it was quite a, quite a nice interview. Felt like I got on really well, good rapport. Um, actually, as I was waiting in the lobby, they in fact they, I was waiting in the lobby, and they showed me around after the interview. they were like, judge oh, you want to see the a little bit of the training uh, training campus?" I was like, "Yeah, who's not gonna who's not to say yes?" So yeah. I got to see a little bit of the changing rooms and stuff. And I was standing there talking to him, and I was kind of leaning against against the door. The door just opened, and I kind of slightly jerked and fell back, and I turned around, and it was Charlie Austin. And it was just like, right, mate? Uh, <laughs> but I didn't realize how massive he was. Yeah. Oh, you watch footballers on the telly, and I'm a short guy anyway, yeah. but you watch footballers on the telly, and you think, "Ah, oh, they're just kind of like average height, maybe like six foot. And he was like a giant yeah. um, turning around. But it was a really good interview, and then I got invited back for a second interview. <laughs> Again, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. Um, and I said to my mum at the time, I was like, I don't really care if I get the job because I'm just so chuffed to be even to have even given an opportunity to, to be in the running and they whittled it down to two people myself and this other chap who, who I didn't meet actually and I had to, had to go to St. Mary's and it was a, it was a kind of as live run through. So uh, I was in one of the boxes there and sitting down with Tom and he was like, cool, go through this running order and this script, make little notes here and there. And then what we'll do is we'll go out with a camera into the stands and you'll deliver a couple of links to camera and then we'll do kind of a mock interview and then that's it we'll record it and we'll go through it uh, and we'll get back to you so i did that thought i did quite well and then i went back to my call center job in yeah. in london in old street and uh and a couple of weeks later i was sat there literally just the end of my shift and uh just hung up my headset and then my phone goes and it's tom call on the phone and my heart kind of sank cuz i always just feel like inherently that that call is always just going to be hi, uh, yeah, thanks very much for coming in, but unfortunately we've decided to to take someone else at this point. And that's what I thought was going to happen. So anyway, I picked up the phone, hey, Tom, how's it going? And he started the conversation like that. It was like, and he's quite a chilled guy anyway, but it was like, hi, Steve, yeah. Thank you, thanks so much for coming in. Yeah, it was really good to have you. And all I just presumed was we've decided to go with someone else for the job. And he just went, yeah, so thanks very much for coming in. And uh, yeah, we'd like to offer you the position. And I just was like, Oh my god! This is absolutely amazing. Thank you so so much, and just shouted in the middle of this call centre. Yeah, um, I was so happy, and I just phoned up my mum straight away, and I was I was super excited. Um, couldn't wait to start, and and yeah, so it was it was a few months before I actually actually went to a game. I think I got given the job or offered the job, and, and took the job in in the September. September, start of October time. And then I started in November, 2017.
0: Okay. Yeah.
1: All right. Did you, did you quit the call center immediately? Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, it, was, it was basically, it was after that. I was like, I don't need this anymore. See you later guys. And, yeah. uh, and, and to be fair, I'd lined up another job anyway yeah. Um, that I was moving to. So things, the ball had started to, to roll a little bit more, which yeah. was, which was exciting. It was the start of really my journey in, okay. into, into broadcasting.
0: That's, I mean, that, that's awesome because it, I I am like you. It's uh if somebody calls me, they're just going to deliver the bad news and get off the phone. And and I kind of have that I I presume the negative all the time. Um so when somebody surprised,
1: I'd rather be surprised than uh, disappointed, I guess. That's it. Yeah. yeah. You got to prepare for the worst cuz then it's not going to feel like such a stab in the heart if you get it and uh anything other than that's a bonus. Yeah, I think I think
0: that my father-in-law still that in me and then also um under promise and, oh, and over deliver. Uh so don't 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 yes. don't promise too much. Um cuz you won't live up to it. Um Anyway, uh, I was going to say, when you quit the call center, did you go like, uh, have you seen Half Baked? Have you seen that? That might be just an American thing.
1: I've heard of it. I don't think I've actually seen it. You you just
0: got to look up the scene when he quits the record store and and then let me know if that's how you quit. Um, Okay,
1: we'll do. uh, We won't talk about it on here because it's just, anyway. Uh, I think I was quite polite. I I just called up my duty manager and was like... Sorry, I'm quitting. And he was right. he was like, Is there nothing we can is that is that it? nothing we can do? If you want any other shifts, let me know. I was like, no, nah, I'm never coming back. I really appreciate the opportunity, but bye. Yeah, I'd like
0: I'd like to keep my soul where it is now. Um, yes. so, so I mean, once you once you get the job, what's what's a day on the job like? Uh doing because I mean you work with people like like Kenzie. Uh, Michael Kern, right? Uh, Tom Deacon, John Weeks. You guys all kind of are on the same, or at least under the same umbrella of, of Match Day presenting. But what does your job entail? What's your routine like on Match Day?
1: It, so it's, it, it has differed slightly over over the the years that I've been there. When I when I first joined, it was Kenzie doing the doing the job, and I, I co-presented with her pitch side for for I think two games before she moved primarily to the social media side of stuff, and I okay. think that's why they. She she was moving to the more on-screen role, and I think that's why they got another pitch site presenter in. So I I did it on my own after that. So really, I think from the January 2018 till the end of that season, um, it it was just me, and it it was really daunting. Um, And and, and it took a lot of getting used to on that day, but it was very much kind of come in there for a few hours before um, you get given given a loose script, what were the segments that you're going to present in, um, and then it was very much an hour before before kick You go live uh, in front of the fans or, or what fans are there at the time. Build up the match day or to the to the kick um, Although there's a bit of a gap. There used to be more of a gap for when the players were, were training. You, you wouldn't talk through um, when they were on the field. Uh, and that and that was it. You, you then I then stand in the tunnel, watch watch the first half, go out for for half time. It, nine times out of ten, it was it was the half time relay. Um, and maybe a couple of other links to promote whatever we were doing at the time and, and then back in and maybe a little bit of feedback after, and, and that was really the job. But since then, uh, since that kind of 2017-18 season, um, more people have been brought in. Um, they've expanded the matchday program so much more. So so in that summer, that's when Tom Deacon was, was hired. And i tell you what, when, when he, got, he when he was hired, I thought, oh, they're getting rid of me. That, that, <laughs> that, that optimal, that, that pessimistic... Um, flow from, from not thinking I'd get the job to, to this moment. It's, it's still continued. And, uh, and they said, oh, we've got uh, a guy, Tom, he's going to be coming and, and, and we're going to test you out. Uh, he's going to be coming for the, the preseason game. It was Celta Vigo, actually, uh, for the preseason game in St. Mary's that, that Tom came along to. And it was very much like, cool, we're just going to see what your vibe's like and how you're doing. And all in my head, I was just like, they're just going to replace me. Yeah. Clearly, I've been rubbish for six months and uh and they're just going to get this comedian in who's been on radio one who's been on capital etc etc um to to replace me but the saving grace is that tom and i got on so well like from from the day we kind of met we just had such a good rapport um uh, and from then it's really flourished so tom Tom and i have have kind of just tried to make that pitch side thing our own Mm -hmm. um uh, and deliver that as best we can with as much energy. I think the whole kind of motive now was to really get the place ramped up for, for kickoff. So it's, it's rocking before, before the players come out. Um, and like I said, a few more people were taken on. They, they developed the fan zone for the, for the last season for the, the 1920 season, which is where Michael joined um, Tom moved to a, a kind of a different role. I wasn't in the, in the PA room so much. Um, so Terry, Who's my kind of line manager? She came on board and it just became a bit more of a bigger production. Mm-hmm. We did more, we had a bit more games and stuff for the fans, more giveaways, etc. Um, and I think we tried to make it like a real a real show that people would actually want to come into the stadium earlier than they normally would to to watch it. Okay.
0: Yeah, it seems like a a big change and a shift from just people showing up as kickoff starting, you know. Pounding the beer and, and sitting down and, and ready to watch the game versus coming in and kind of getting engaged and getting excited about the stuff and and you know a lot of there there had been there had been some criticism online of of what Saints were doing pregame in terms of the light show and the fire and all that stuff and um, did that kind of affect you at all Were you aware of that or did you just kind of you know were we're we're doing this job. We're trying to get the, the the place going, and and this is this is this is what we're
1: this is what we're doing. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, you hear murmurings and and there's obviously like fan groups that will speak directly with with uh, people at the club and stuff. Uh, um, but I don't have any decision in, in any of that stuff. If there's going to be fire, there's going to be fire. If there's going to be lights, there's going to be lights. Like that's that's not down to me. Yeah. Um. I think everywhere that that comes from is a good place. Everything that the club is trying to do is trying to do. For, the, for good reasons mm-hmm. and to make make it not only an amazing place to go and watch sport because football is now no longer just just a sport that you watch it's entertainment yeah um, you want to be entertained prices have gone up um, so much in the last 10 20 years that paying 30 40 pounds sometimes to go and watch watch a football game you don't just want to go for 90 minutes you want to be entertained for longer than that you right. need value for money and I feel that everything the club has put in place in the last eighteen months, has been has been incredible, um, and I think there's probably only scope to to do more as well. Hopefully, um, yeah. when when fans do come back, but um, it, it, it I, I love all that stuff. I think the light shows are incredible. Some, sometimes they've gone wrong. Don't get me wrong. I think there was one time was a little bit of a blackout, and I think a couple of times maybe the fire shooters haven't shot at the right time. Um, but it looked it looks great. Um, I think it really adds to the atmosphere and, and long may it continue in my opinion. Yeah. Well, and I, I will just add like if, if things would have been going better on the pitch, nobody would have
0: said any of it, you know, they would have said, this is a great mm-hmm. touch. And so there is, there is that. And sometimes you, uh, or not you specifically, but kind of the, the front facing crowd facing uh, portion of the entertainment uh, is going to get the abuse because people are angry and they want to, they
1: got to be angry at something, you know, and, and yeah, we we feel it. I mean, it, at the end of the day, our job might be in in a in the kind of short sightedness of, of of us as as professionals doing it is us presenting. So we're doing our job as, as being a presenter. And but really, what we're doing is we are trying to get that atmosphere in that stadium as best as we can, and that's by getting people in a great mood by doing giveaways and getting them up on their feet and dancing and shouting stuff out, etc. And and the halftime relay get people involved and and cheering cheering the kids on as they run around. So um, the the atmosphere is is huge. I mean, if you it, sometimes and, and, and I've been there over the last couple of years when the team hasn't been performing so well and it and it is a bit dead and it, it, it I think it stops us as as presenters performing as well to, to the levels where when the place is rocking, you feel it as well. And mm-hmm. you I I personally think when Tom and I have been pitch side and the place is just jumping mm-hmm. because everyone because we're two nil up at half time and, and everyone's in a great mood. Um, it allows us a bit more freedom and a bit more flexibility to have fun with the script and, 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 and kind of give a bit more of our own personalities as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: I, I guess for you, what's, what's the, I guess, what's the most stressful part of, of, of the job? Is it having to go out there when you, when at halftime, when we're two nil down, uh, or, or what, 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 what's, what's that look like for you?
1: There's a lot of stresses at the, at the job. It just depends how much you let them affect you. Um, don't get me wrong standing in front of 30,000 people is daunting because a slip of the tongue in front of that many people again I don't know how many are actually listening a lot of people might just be off getting a pie and a pint like we don't, I don't know but um, but you have to be on the ball so it's quite stressful to know that there's a camera pointed at you and there are however many thousands, tens of thousands of people in the stadium listening and watching you've got to be good yeah um, so that's a pressure in itself. We then have a headset. So sometimes uh, stuff will be relayed in our ears. So um, it'll, it, we might be running short on a link or we might have a little bit too much time. So it's like, right, we need to cut here. We need to cut here. Come on, you've got 10 seconds to close it out. But we've still got half a segment to do yeah. because maybe we've overrun in certain areas or it's actually we've got uh, way more time than we thought. So you need to long this out for another two minutes. And we're like, we've got three lines to read. How are we going to do this for two minutes? Yeah. So you have to think on your feet and that can be really stressful as well. Um, but, I mean, I've got to say the team is fantastic. Everyone is so supportive. Um, there's never really been any criticism that has been... Uh, constructive feedback, and I think I'm probably one of the most critical people on myself anyway. Yeah. Um, there's been times when I think I've done a really pants job and my boss has said, oh, you were really good today. And I've gone, no, nah, I didn't think so because I did this, this, and this. And I'm like, no, nah, that didn't, wasn't really a big deal. I didn't even notice it. But, you, but So I'm super self-critical with yeah. what I do. So um, The stress levels are only there if you let it get to you. Um, I think there are other jobs on this planet that if you are a paramedic or if you are a surgeon, or if you, if you do a job that involves you trying to save someone's life or that where there's is really, that's, that stress me standing in front of a crowd saying, saying a few words and giving away a signed t-shirt isn't stressful.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You just got to put it in context. Um, yeah. Yeah but i totally understand the the self critical uh part of part of that um there are times when i record the show and i just like hang my head in shame after reading the <laughs> Skype call but uh you know then then you get people to go that that was great and sometimes we, i do an episode where i'm like this was so much fun and people are like what were you doing this week and it's just like look i don't even know what's good but um we're we're but doing that's it. how you learn
1: yeah. isn't it like there's tom and i've have had i've have had days where we've both looked at each other and we've gone That was rubbish. We were we were we weren't very good there, and 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 we have tried to improve as well. So before the way it kind of works, um, which I'm sure John would have probably touched on when, and Tom probably has when when he's been uh, on the on the podcast, is we get in a few hours before, and we will run through everything. So we'll sit in in the boardroom, and we'll be given our script and our running order, um, and 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 what is what's going to be happening during the match show. But then Tom and I will go off separately with a highlighter and a pen and we'll go through it and we'll, we'll mark off where we're going to come in and where we're going to go out and who says what bit and change certain things because someone else's style of writing your, your, your loose script is not how you would present it. So Tom and I have really tried to over the last season in the, in the last year to, to put a lot of effort into having it as slick as possible. So when we are pitch side... There's not erms and there's not ours and there's not looking at, at the paper. It is really just well rehearsed and slick. We ha- we have somehow got into a routine of saying indeed when we pass to each other, at which we tried to cut out. And then as soon as I I raised it to Tom, I said because I, I had a bit of footage recorded for me for a, for a show reel and, and transferred over. And I watched it and it was like yeah. So today we've got this blah blah blah. blah and then Tom would go indeed, Steve. So yeah, and this is also coming up. We're going to be giving away a signed shirt. Indeed, Tom. And at half time, we were having the relay. Indeed, much more to come. And I said, Tom, we say indeed about five times in this link. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Uh, and so when I raised it with him, and I was like, we need to stop saying indeed so much. And it became apparent. And then we just said it even more. Yeah. We didn't say it every single transition. Yeah. Um, so that's, we are still trying to improve ourselves as well, but by, by no means are we perfect.
0: Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, yeah. Um, so, I mean, going forward now, uh, Obviously, the Premier League is, is coming back the the guys are back to, to full training um, and there are still a lot of precautions that have to be ta- have to take place but the plan is to to continue with matches now behind closed doors uh, kind of from the middle of June on um, so what I mean I'm not I don't want to I don't know what you're allowed to share or anything but what are the kind of the plans for um, your you and your job and your team to kind of uh, as, as matches go forward from from
1: here yeah, I mean, I don't really know what I'm allowed to share either, but let's just kind of go with it. Um, I, I, I'm kind of in the, in the dark, I have to admit, and I'm sure as the, as the next couple of days unfold or, or, or the week, I will, I'll find out a bit more of what the plan is from here on out. Having spoke with, with uh, my boss throughout lockdown, um, they are very much under the impression that they have to, well, it's not under the impression, they have to wait for the Premier League to decide what's going to happen. So they are just as reactive as, as I would be as, as to find out what's going on with my job and and I work in in news in in the media as as well as at Southampton. So my boss said you'll probably find out before we do because you'll hear you'll see a statement come through um, or from what the Premier League have said on the news channels be- right. before the club will announce anything. So um, I think it's it's really positive that the contact training was brought back and there is now a provisional start date for the Premier League being on the seventeenth of June. Um, so that that is a, a big positive step for, for going back to work and having games played yeah because there's no fans I mean essentially it makes my role redundant because I'm a pitch side presenter and if there's no one in the stadium to present to pitch side then it, it doesn't really allow me much scope for, for work at St. Mary's um, however one thing that was in the pipe work before uh, before the lockdown was a, a pilot that we were going to shoot for the Norwich game that was, that was called off the away game Okay, and it was gonna uh, have you seen um, team sheet live so that's what we broadcast on on Facebook uh, uh, and Instagram that Kenzie does and I believe the kind of the the theme was going to be expanding on that so it was going to be a a pilot for a show that fans can engage with for away games so they would tune in uh, on Facebook um, and YouTube and we would live stream an hour before the game a build up again when the team sheets come out we'd have that we, we we'd go into uh who was picked and we'd have a bit more of a kind of analysis of of of, of the team and okay and the match we'd, we'd watch the game etc and then we'd have again about about 40 minutes to an hour after where where we could get comments from fans that were coming through on social media what they think and just just also provide that engagement that you would get on a match day being at st mary's but the fact that you can't be there and, it, and it's away game so um that was something that did get canned because of because of the lockdown we never got a chance to, to see it through okay um that might be something that does come to fruition as just a show for games that the that, that when the premier league comes back yeah um that may be something that doesn't have a pilot phase anymore maybe they just run with that yeah. but again this is it's something that, that was going to happen and if i was going to if, if i was going to kind of put my neck on the line and say what would i like to to do to have have fan engagement for these games that are going to be behind closed doors and only televised it, it probably would be something like that okay all right all right well i will uh, have to wait and see i'll I'll keep you updated as soon as i find out uh, i'll I'll send you a message yeah um, i look forward to I, I i'm very familiar with the uh
0: you know the online stuff except for those uh those early kickoffs i'm not getting up at 3 a.m to to listen to that that is usually you know phone goes off I look at the team sheet go like again and then like put it down uh, but at least <laughs> that was only when we were playing with uh five defenders at a time and I was like ah this is this is going to be rough but anyway um I, a couple more things and then I'll, I'll let you go my house is starting to fill up with people uh, I forgot right, about okay. uh, anyway um so your part of your job is the halftime thing. Uh, we had a question from one of the patrons of the show, uh, patrons get priority for having their questions answered on the show each and every week. Um, and, and Luke Millar just kind of asks about like, what's your favorite halftime
1: game to, to present? Oh God, we've not had loads and loads to choose from, I would say. And like I said, for that, that first year and a bit, it was basically the halftime relay, which everyone loves. And sometimes When we've tried to replace it with something else it hasn't had the same feedback so um, we tried to replace it with a penalty shootout Um, it was a virgin media sponsored one didn't really get the same reception so they brought the halftime relay back yeah but we still will do different things Um, and what I've loved in the last uh, the last couple of months before it was before the season was cancelled was we did uh, Tom and I would do dizzy penalties so we'd we put a blindfold on someone spin them round take it off and then they have to shoot and, and that has been a lot of fun doing that too. But you can't go wrong with a halftime relay. Everyone at St. Mary's just seems to love it. It's, it seems like it's just part of the club now. That's what people expect at halftime. And if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? Right. Um,
0: a couple other questions. Your, your team, okay? Like uh, if I ask you to describe these people just in one word, or your relationship with them in one word, I guess what would you, how would you say it? So Tom Deacon, how would you describe your relationship with him? Uh, working, working relationship in one word.
1: Brother. Okay.
0: John Weeks. Confidant. Kenzie. Chum. Sammy. Annoying. (laughs) Um, what, what, what's the deal with, with you and Sammy? What, what, what's going on?
1: He just rips me like every game. I don't know where it came from. Um, I, well, in fact, I do know where I came from. Kenzie moved on from pitch side and he doesn't get to see her as much anymore. So for that, so for the first, um, the first, uh, few weeks that, that, um, i had taken over the job, he just tended to go, where, where's Kenzie? And obviously that, um, Sammy doesn't talk. So it's just, everything is, uh, is yeah. body language. It's just like, where's Kenzie? Just doing like a hammer, yeah. mo- a hand motion with his hair. And then going like shooing me away, taking the mic and the clipboard off and then just going get out of it. Yeah. And it just seems to be a running thing. So every, every single game that I s- somehow come, come across Sammy in, in some form, it's basically you're not very good. Give me the mic and just leave. Could you beat him in the halftime relay? Oh, 100 percent. yeah. 100 percent. In that suit. I, I don't I don't know how you, how you can, anyone can beat him in that suit. That thing is hard like to, <laughs> to move and see in. Um, I'd love to do the halftime relay. Yeah, I'd I'd love it if they did like a staff one at some point. I'd well, really i really want, want to the, give I, it a go. If they
0: do it. I want them to do it when the stadium's full. None of this, none of this empty stadium stuff. It's not the same. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's got to be the pressure. Yeah. Um. Last thing. Uh, you've been cooking a lot. Uh, you cooked before the lockdown. Uh, your IG or your Instagram, kind of. Uh, you know, you, you enjoy cooking. Um, you've been carrying Tom a little bit. I'll be be honest. Um, but carrying Tom.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll probably say I'm a better cook than Tom. Don't tell him that, but that's that's, um, that's, what, I'm, that's what i mean.
0: I mean. <laughs> you were cooking before, Tom. I, I think initially, I don't know. I don't know. Tom, Tom makes me laugh no matter what he's doing, so it's it, it is what it is. But uh, I've enjoyed the uh, I've enjoyed what you guys have been putting out there uh, over the past couple of of, of weeks. But uh, if you had to, just, you know, somebody's coming to you and they're saying, "Look, want want date this person." uh, first date, I'm going to cook for him because we can't go out, obviously. Um, what, what, what's your, what's your, uh, what would you advise them to cook uh, for this person?
1: Yeah. Well, obviously, as you, as you said, like Tom and I are doing, uh, like a weekly Instagram live cook along with Steve and Tom, uh, where we will, one of us will decide on a, on a menu or a dish to cook and, and give the other person instructions. All we, all we get beforehand is the ingredients. That's all you get is we need this and we'll show you through it. Um, and obviously, you can join join along by watching on, Inst- on Instagram live. You do mention Tom just makes you laugh at everything, and I don't understand that. I know he's a stand up comedian, but it's that's the hardest thing of working with Tom is he will just make you laugh with just just saying what just saying a sentence. Uh, it, that's the hardest thing. But if I had to pick pick one dish to really imp- impress someone, say it was a date, yeah, yeah. oh. It's tough because there's things you can do that are so simple. So the first week when we did a carbonara, mm. now that is a dish that you can make excellent. You can also really mess it up. Yeah. Tom put a whole packet of Parmesan into his egg mixture. Uh, for me, for me, ruined it. Yeah. Um, but that's something that you, if you do it so well, you'll remember it. you go, yeah. oh my God, that was the best carbonara I've ever eaten in my life. But then, I don't know, There's there's been other things. A, a, a mean steak and like triple cooked chips with some uh garlic broccoli on the side or something that's 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 mint as well um i've cooked i've cooked a shredded duck lasagna once which went down very well yeah. um but yeah if with the stuff that i would say you can if you're on a date if someone was coming around your house and you don't want to be in the kitchen for hours and ignoring them and you want to bash up a really nice meal um and impress i'd say a good authentic from scratch carbonara can't go wrong all right all right and people can go
0: back in the instagram live and uh find that i'm sure
1: yeah there' so so yeah there are igtv so if you went to um my instagram uh, it's one of the recent posts you'll yeah. be able to click on it and watch the video back walk, yeah you'll walk them through it you, i will i will you're gonna do a little bit of lockdown cooking it was it was something that i just thought well i like to cook a lot i don't consider myself a talented chef i consider myself a slightly better than average home cook um but during lockdown i was like i'm gonna start instagramming a couple of meals that i'm making and the steps to making them if you want to decide at home that you want to follow on
0: yeah.
1: um and and cook them too and then i had a chat with tom and, and and he when when him and i would facetime just to have catch-ups he would be in his home cooking and we'd have a little chat about food and i mean we just had that idea um uh, and the, the, the last few episodes we've only done two um they've been really fun we've enjoyed them uh, and i just hope anyone kind of tuning in tuning in has too so they They will be continuing for the foreseeable i think well
0: yeah i I'm enjoying
1: them uh even though I'm not cooking
0: along with you guys because it's you know nine a m here um but you know i don't, I don't need a burger Maybe it'll that be a early.
1: breakfast edition
0: yeah i I know it's uh I know I'm American, but we don't eat burgers all the time like it, it's not it's not how it works um but uh, I just want to say thanks for doing this, Steve. it's been uh just a pleasure to to chat with you and and have some fun and and focus on things that aren't you know um uh, Coronavirus and, and everything else, and uh, it's been
1: just it's been great to, to chat with you. So I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. It's uh it's been really nice to, to kind of talk about talk about what I do and give people an insight into what it's like behind the scenes. And I'm just really hoping that football does come back with fans in some capacity when it is safe to do so um, in the near future.
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, I, I am excited. I'm I'm a weird mix of excited and and kind of nervous about the return of the league and and kind of life going back to normal. But you know, we'll we'll to hope everybody does the right thing and, and we'll see how it kind of works out. So, um, anyway, if people want to follow you, uh, on social media, it's at Forbesy presents and there are links in the show notes for Instagram and Twitter and, and Facebook and things like that. Um, people could hear you on the radio, uh, and they can hopefully see you soon, uh, whether it's on, uh, YouTube or, or Facebook or, or live in the stands at some point. So, um, uh, fingers Steve, crossed. Thanks a lot. Thank you. that does it for this week's episode of the Southampton Delivery Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. I hope you've enjoyed it. Special thanks this week goes out to Steve Forbes. You can find him on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Forbesy Presents. The links are in the show notes if you'd like to get in touch with him. And next time you're around St. Mary's, I don't know when that will be, but say hi. Hopefully he's winning the halftime relay or maybe tripping up Sammy. Uh, maybe he will get to bury a penalty against him one day, but anything we can do to help Steve overcome that obstacle because he's not Kenzie, but you know, there's only one of those. So anyway, thank you once again for listening. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you want to follow this show on social media, you can do that. We are at SFC D E L L underscore I V E R Y on both Twitter and Instagram. We're also on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash SFC delivery easiest way to get that and links to the show and everything else that we or I offer, including the newsletter, is to visit southamptondelivery.com. That is the show website. On there, we have links for everything that's mentioned in the show. So head on over there, southamptondelivery.com and uh, keep up to date with the show. Southampton Page is the partner page of the show. They are on Twitter at Southampton Page. Go to them. They will keep you up to date with what's going on at the club. The logo is designed by Matt Beeling of the We Are Southampton page instagram get in touch with him as well for high quality artwork uh, match day edits polls competitions and more if you're really enjoying the show you can head on over to patreon.com board slash sfc delivery patrons help keep the show going they get access to extra episodes of the podcast and they get priority for having their questions answered on the show each and every week Music for the show comes courtesy of the Free Music Archive at freemusicarchive.org. The intro song is Epic Song by Box Sky Games. And the end of show credits that you're listening to right now is Aim is True by Pottington Bear. We'll be back with the newsletter on Friday. We'll be back with another episode of the show next week as we inch closer to the return of Premier League football. Um, thank you once again for listening. I look forward to talking to you again next time. And until then, remember that together, we march on.